the thing that I've, I've stopped telling people about just retiring, right? You know, like, you know, trying to get out of the rat race. Everybody talks about creating enough passive income so you can retire. But you know what? I think there's a lot more people kind of like me who never fully want to retire, right? We don't want to like be put out of commission and then be useless. Now, we want to do something else with our lives that maybe has more impact, meaning, maybe a passion project. It could be charities or philanthropies, right? It could be even just having the time freedom to spend time with your family, do what you want. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to talk to Chris Miles, the host of the uh, Money Ripples podcast, 735 episodes, a financial investor. And we're going to get to talk about so many incredible things today, including how to get your investment money to pay you twice and a number of things and podcasting, since we're both advocates and passionate about podcasts. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Let's just take it out. Let's get right into business. All right, how can we get our investments to pay us twice? You know, the best way to do that is actually through a strategy called infinite banking, right? Um, and now you might've heard of this. Now I, I don't, there's a difference between infinite banking and the, and the version of what we use. If you look at infinite banking, you're gonna see people like Nelson Nash and they talk about how to you know, pay for your cars, your houses using whole life insurance, right? And then using that tax-free savings account inside of there to use that to you know, pay off those loans and get debt-free and not own the bank anything. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of crappy half-truths are taught with that, um, but for one, they usually are very expensive policies, which is why there's critics out there, even Dave Ramsey that rips on them. Um, there's even things out there suggesting that, you know, uh, that, you know, whether you should really use it to pay off debt or use it as a checking account, you know, some people do it for that. Um, and I agree. Um, uh, actually, I kind of agree with a lot of those critics that some of that stuff is kind of stupid. Actually. Um, I actually got introduced to it 15 years ago, right when I really got more into real estate investing and, and I'll tell you like, there's a better way to do it. And so the way to get your investment money to pay you twice is that you try to get the lowest cost policy you can, right? And that's something that only the insurance agent can design. One of two things will happen. One, most insurance agents don't know how to do that in the first place. Or two, even if they do know how to do it, they don't want to cut their commissions back because the lower they get the cost of the insurance, the less they get paid. So you very rarely will find those, uh, which is why we kind of had to take that internally because I couldn't keep referring to guys that Really, I couldn't trust to be in integrity and always do the best job for the client every single time. And, uh, and so what you do here is you start building up more money. Instead of paying for insurance costs, you pay more into this tax-free supercharged savings account, this whole life policy. This whole life policy, by the way, is protected from lawsuits and creditors 100% in most states, right? Um, you can also, it's like a Roth IRA, but you don't have all the stupid 59 and a half rules or limitations on how much you can put in per year and all that kind of stuff. It's literally like a tax-free savings account that can be used by creating leverage. You get a line of credit against it with the bank. You use that line of credit to then go and use it to do whatever the heck you want. Um, ideally, when you're talking about investing, using that to go into an investments. So you get a line of credit because the cash is all there, right? It's just like if you had a bank account with, with a savings account in it, you could always get a line of credit against that savings account. The bank will give it to you because they'll say, well, worst case, if they can't pay, we'll just take the money out of the savings account, right? So they give you a very low interest rate. They'll say, hey, great. We'll give you wonderful terms on this money. But if you don't pay us, we're just going to take the money out. Well, insurance companies can act as the bank, but they're much more flexible. One, it doesn't show up on your credit. And then two, they do charge you interest. That's one of the half truths that they tell you out there to say, well, you pay yourself back interest. No, you don't. They're paying you interest on that money, 
while at the same time charging you interest. But here's where it is that half truth. You can earn more compounding interest tax-free than what you're paying in simple interest to the insurance company who's acting as the bank. And there's no minimum monthly payment they're requiring. They'll charge interest, but you're not required to make payments. So the cool thing is, is that if you take the money from that account, get a line of credit against it, go and invest it, and then take the cash flow from that investment, put it back in, just like you would into a savings account. If you do, the, you do it like that, that actual strategy, you will make more interest in the life insurance than what you pay to the insurance company. As a result, not only do you make money from the you know, net, you know, the net benefit from the insurance company, but you're also making that money on the investment. You now double dip. You make money in two places at the same time. So you know, many of our clients will get at least a 10% rate of return on their passive investments that they do. Using this strategy instead of just using their checking or savings account will allow them to make at least 11, 12, 13 plus percent on that same money versus just 10%. Now let's talk about like terms. So you're giving some kind of ideas of percentages, but like how long are these loans? Are they, you know, uh, 10 year lines of credit? Like how, how are those things typically structured? Yeah, they're, they're structured like this. Um, you can pay it back however, whenever you want. The deadline or the balloon payment is your death. <laughs> so because it's tied to the life insurance, here's what would happen. Say that, for example, you've, you've used and borrowed a million dollars over your lifetime, right? Hadn't been paying it back, but that's what's now the loan balance. But you have a $3 million death benefit. So what will happen at your death is that the insurance company will take that $1 million to pay off the loan and then pay the other $2 million to your family or your heirs tax-free. So they'll just take out their portion and then pay the rest of your family. So that's the cool thing is that there is no deadline. There's no, uh, like I said, monthly payments. They'll charge daily interest to total, usually like, you know, five to 6% a year, but that's pretty much it. I mean, it's, it's a very, in fact, lately people have been using it more because as interest rates have skyrocketed at banks to where now prime is like, well, about to go up to eight and eight and a half percent. Right. Well, here it's like, you know, like one of the companies we use is like 5.7%. And it's been set at that for the last year. So it hasn't been going up with those rates where we've seen banks skyrocket. These rates have stayed low. This is phenomenal. And so generally, I'm assuming there's probably some rules around you've got to keep more money in there than they're loaning, right? Is there like the amount in there as a ratio of what they've lended? And what happens if for some reason that money goes down? Can they call like? Yeah. So here's the, here's the good news. So whole life insurance specifically, right? Um, there are people that try to use universal life. Um, I recommend not using that just because there are a lot of variables and some risks that go with it, including you could be losing money in whole life. It's guaranteed never to lose money. In fact, usually like the minimum guarantees around like three, 4% a year. So the reason that these companies aren't worried about you paying off the loan is because one, they'll usually lend, let you lend about 95% of the cash in there. They won't let you do 100%, but you'll do it 95. So if you've got $100,000, you can access 95,000 whenever you want for whatever you want. Um, and then from there, because there's those guarantees, that money usually grows faster than what you're being charged in the interest. So that's how they're able to avoid having to pay it back at a certain point. Um, other types of insurances, like I said, they got some other risks. You might have that risk where you would have to pay more money out of pocket, but the whole life it's, it's kind of boring. You know, it, it might pay you, you know, five and a half to 6%, you know, while also, you know, it has a guarantee of like three or 4%. So if we're analyzing this and obviously, you know, if you're out there listening, we're not saying these numbers are going to be exactly this way. We're not making any advice on that, but like, 
let's say you're getting 4% from the whole life policy, and then you're taking a loan from at 6%, right? So you're essentially paying 2% to get access to your money. People might be thinking like, how does that make sense, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. but you talked about the benefits of maybe people not having access to your money like creditors, but like, let's get a list of what are the benefits um, and reasons to do this. You know, if, if it were those kind of conditions where I was only earning like the guarantee of three or 4%, but I'm having to pay six, you know, yeah. the strategy might change. I might just withdraw the money instead of borrowing the money because you do have that option. You can withdraw it like a savings account too, right? Um, the only reason I borrow is because I want the money in there growing compounding tax-free, right? Um, and typically that's not the case. If you ever do see dividends drop that much, the loan rate will usually drop too. So the loan rate tends to follow whatever happened with the dividend rate. So in that rare case that could happen, which isn't likely, but it could, if that were to happen, then cool. Okay, guys, we're going to withdraw this money instead of just borrowing it. Um, now, here's the thing, and this is something that I didn't realize until probably 10 years ago. Um, so I had been in the financial world for about a decade and still didn't know this, but there is a difference between compounding interest and simple interest, right? Um, and what I mean by this is interest is interest regardless, right? But compounding interest, for example, say you have $100,000 in an account, you earn 5%. That means you made 500 bucks on that 10,000, right? Um, wait, no, sorry, 5,000 bucks on that 100,000. There you go. $5,000 on that 100,000, you have 105,000. Well, if you earn 5% the next year, you're now earning 5%, not on 100,000, but 105. So now you have 110,000 and change. And then the next year, you'll have 100. 15,000 and change. And maybe that next year you'll have like maybe 121,000, right? And so it kind of has that little curve that starts going up exponentially. The opposite happens with simple interest. Simple interest is what, again, it's still numbers. It's still simple math. And, and many people think when they get a loan that somehow the bank screws them over in those first few years, they're like, oh, the bank takes all that money and in interest in the beginning. No, they don't. They take the same amount of interest based on the loan balance, right? So let's just say you have a loan for $100,000 and they charge you 5%, right? Well, obviously you're gonna be charged, if it's just 100,000, you'll be charged $5,000 in interest that year. Well, if you're only paying 6,000 or 500 bucks a month of, of principal and interest over that period of time, yeah, you'll only go down to like $99,000, right? So yes, you'll, you'll pay a little bit less in interest. Now you're, pay, you're paying 5% on 99,000. So now you're, you know, paying roughly like 4,900 bucks that year. And, you know, so now 1,100 goes to principal. It's not because the banks are screwing you. It's because of where your payment is set. So that's the key here is that if you're using this money, say again, using the same example, $100,000 to invest, you make 10%. That's $10,000 a year. Well, what if you are being charged 5%? Well, now what happens is that, yes, you pay about roughly 5,000 interest, but then you pay down 5,000 in principle. So the next year you only have 95,000. Well, that means you only get charged about 4750 the next year. You're still paying 10 grand, so now you've paid down to just under $90,000, like 89,700, right? And then you do it again the next year. Now you're down to like $84,000 in the next year. So more and more goes to principal, less and less interest. What happens is this. If you compare compounding interest because the whole say the meantime you didn't use your own cash because that 100,000 is still in there compounding, say it's even that 5%, what you see happens is that you're earning more than 5,000 a year while you're paying less than 5,000 a year as the payment, the principal goes down. Um, so what that means is this, if you look at a simple car loan for five years, let's just say that you could, you, you get a somewhat semi-used new car, right? For 30,000 bucks. 
Well, if you got charged 6% interest for that car loan, but you still have the 30,000 to pay it in cash, but you decided not to, and just pay the minimum payment for those next five years. Guess what? All you have to earn on that CD, say that you have that 30,000 you just threw into a CD for the next five years while you're paying your payments, that CD, all I have to earn you is 3% while you're paying 6% and you'll make the same dollar amount of interest as what you paid on the life of that loan. So this is the key thing, guys. Compounding and simple interest are not the same. Right. Compounding interest actually works better. So as long, here's my, my thing. As long as I can earn at least half the interest rate, it works. So even the example you said, like earning four, paying six, even in that example, even though it takes several years, you would actually still be able to beat the interest you're paying and still double dip, even in that scenario. Yeah. Well, and, and you're obviously giving the examples of if people have a method or or know of, you know, straightforward investments that are, you know, generating 10, 12, 13%. Now you're collecting 10 to 13% on the money you're paying six for, and you're still getting maybe three or four on the policy itself. Yeah. Which yeah, if you were only earning four percent. I wouldn't use this strategy. You know, I'd yeah. be like, cool. I would do other stuff with this. Right. So for you, like if you're looking at your entire financial situation portfolio, like how much of a benefit did this make to you personally? It's, it's made quite a bit of benefit. Um, I mean, for example, I've used this in different ways. Here's how I use it in today's market. I'm using this as a way to store cash and prepare because you remember 2022, everybody was telling you invest all your money, get it out there because you're going to lose the interest. And here's a key thing I've learned in investing is that whatever the masses are telling you to do, do the opposite, right? So if everybody was telling me deploy all my capital, I started getting defensive and instead keeping my capital in. That's like when Warren Buffett says, whenever, when there's, you know, when everybody's greedy, he gets fearful. When everybody's fearful, he gets greedy, right? Do the opposite. So I did the opposite. I started storing cash. Now, of course, you think about this, I started building up more cash reserves just for emergencies, and I was storing up a little bit more cash for investments and opportunities. Um, for example, my wife, she wants to keep $300,000 in her bank account. Don't touch it. That's just for emergencies. Imagine if you just kept 300,000 in the bank earning point nothing percent, and then I get taxed on point nothing percent. I mean, even right now I get 0.1% at my credit union, you know, for keeping it in their normal savings account. 0.1% on... $300,000 is like 300 bucks a year, you know, that's nothing. And then I get taxed on it. So really I only come my way with like 200 bucks a year. So what I told her, I said, honey, instead let's earmark 250,000 of my life insurance cash value as part of emergency reserves. Cause we can still get to that money in a week. So keep 50,000 in the bank for that overnight or same day money we got to get access to, and then just keep that money there. So now I have 250,000 say I'm only earning 4%, right? Which I know I'm earning more. Let's say it's 4%. Well, great. That means I just made $10,000 tax-free last year instead of paying after tax or making 200 bucks. So I already made way more. Plus my 50,000 still made that 0.150 bucks of interest that year too. So, so I'm coming out way ahead just doing that strategy alone. Plus, here's the thing is that now all the extra money I have above and beyond that is free game to invest however I want. So I've been building up that capital, having a good place to store it, but still liquid accessible. Unlike the bank, it still pays me nothing. On top of that, you know, the, the big thing is, especially if you're looking to utilize your credit, right? Say you're trying to still get mortgage loans because you're trying to buy properties or whatever it might be. Well, if I'm utilizing my credit, banks, the biggest thing they want to see to see if you're safe beyond just your credit score is your debt to income ratio. As I've seen people with 850 credit scores get denied loans 
because their debt to income ratio is too high. Their payments are too high compared to what their income is. And funny enough, those are usually the people that, that listen to Dave Ramsey saying, I got to pay off my loan and my mortgage in 10 years. So I'm going to get this high, high payment. I'm committed to putting me at more risk while putting the bank at less risk by paying my principal back faster, right? That's horrible. That's a bad strategy. So I actually keep my payments down. I, get, I do my 30-year fixed loans and things like that. And I keep my cash reserves inside my life insurance because guess what? Banks count it. They count it as actually emergency reserves that they look for actual season money. Well, I'm not going to be using that money often, so I can just send them the statement, say, here's money, and they say, great, check. The other thing is cool, too, is that even though it counts in that situation, it doesn't count for the IRS, right? Because I'm not getting taxed that money, so I don't have to report tax returns to it. It also doesn't count for lawsuits and creditors. So even if somebody sues me, they cannot get this money. Regardless, if I have millions of dollars sitting there, they can't touch it. And then even to add further to that, I have um, between my wife and I, we have a blended family. We have like this Brady bunch of eight children. Yeah, yeah. Right. Amazing. So, you know, and six of our eight children are teenagers. So if someone's like, well, Hey, what about your kids and trying to get, have them go to college and qualify for financial aid? Well, obviously my income is pretty high, but the cool thing is my assets. If I have a lot of them sitting in this life insurance, they do not count against me for my kids qualifying for financial aid. So the great thing is it counts when you want it to count, like for getting bank loans, but it doesn't count when you don't want it to count for like taxes, lawsuits, and even for college funding, you know, things like that. So it's, it's really just a great place to store money, but it can be a great vehicle to also use that money to double dip and make money in two places at once. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. And it sounds like it's, it's not hard to get access to. I mean, you mentioned like a week. So, yeah. I mean, you obviously might want to keep a week's worth or maybe even two or three weeks worth of supply somewhere else, um, if not more. But, but basically all the rest can go in here and, and continue to grow. Exactly. Yeah, and I even open up a line of credit with a bank, even though it's a higher interest. If you want speed, I have a bank line of credit against it that I can literally get it. Like I did, somebody wanted short-term money. He needed it fast, and he was going to pay me 15% on that money. I was like, cool. Um, let me transfer money over. Two days later, the money hit my account and wired it over to him. So there are ways to get it faster. But like I said, if you want good low rates right now compared to what the banks are giving, lower than what they're giving even, um, yeah, you can definitely get uh, good access to this cash too. I want to talk to you about podcasting. 735 episodes, nine years of your life. 
Um, we kind of talked a little bit pre-show and it's like, if you were to retire, so to speak, the podcast, it sounds like would be one of the last things to go. Uh, so mm -hmm. from one podcaster to another and, and you having nine years of enjoyment in this space, like what about it has, has connected with you so deeply that, that after nine years, you're still loving, loving doing it. Yeah. You know, the thing that I've, I've stopped telling people about just retiring, right. You know, like, yeah. you know, trying to get out of the rat race. Everybody talks about creating enough passive income so you can retire, but you know what? I think there's a lot more people kind of like me who never fully want to retire. Right. We don't want to like be put out of commission and then be useless. You know, we want to do something else with our lives that maybe has more impact, meaning, maybe a passion project. Could be charities or philanthropies, right? It could be even just having the time freedom to spend time with your family and do what you want. But I mean, for many of us, some it seems like a lot of people more and more, especially the younger generations, really don't want to work. Or they, they want to have the option to work but not be forced to work. If that makes sense. So they want to do something. They just won't have to be forced to do it. They don't have to have be in survival mode. And, and that's kind of true for me too, is that I've actually become financially independent twice. Um, the first time was in 2006 when I was 28 years old. Um, second time was because I screwed up the first time the recession kicked my butt. I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire during that time. So I had to dig back out of that hole. Didn't file for bankruptcy, but I spent a long time trying to pay back that debt and get my passive income back up again to where I was able to do it again at the end of 2016. And uh, I remember 2017 was that interesting year where I'm like, you know, I spent a couple months in California snowboarding because we live in Utah, but winters suck here sometimes, unless you're a skier, we're not. So we, my wife's from the tropics. She's like, let's get to California, like a getaway, go to Southern California, right? And so we're there. And I remember just thinking, you know what? Like, I, I still feel like I have to do something. Like, I feel like I have to do something. And, and that my real passion and joy is teaching. I love teaching. I love impacting people's lives in a way that they see change. I mean, I, rem I remember like in fourth grade, you know, we had a group project together with, you know, us kids and they broke us up in little groups. And because I'm from Oregon, of course, the game was Oregon Trail, but right. not just the computer game, right? This was like the manual game that you're charting, plotting on a map, you know, and there's like different paths you can take. And I remember I knew a couple women that my mom knew that were, you know, uh, they're from the Cherokee, you know, descendants. Right. And so, uh, so they were like, Oh, here's the paths you take, even though this is longer, you'll get killed by Indians. If you take the shortcut. So don't do that one. Cause my ancestors killed all your ancestors. So do this one instead. Right. And, and uh, anyways, like, and I remember like giving that guidance to my, to my classmates saying, well, that doesn't make sense. It's longer. I'm like, trust me. They told me this is the way. And so having to guide and influence them. And then we win our group was the winning, you know, winning team because I helped guide them along. And that's, that's something I still get joy out of today, right? Is like giving people that guidance and inspiration and hope, uh, especially when they thought maybe hope wasn't there. And that's really why I do my podcast. That's why it really is my passion project. And, uh, and I keep teaching because that's the thing I do love doing. That's why I'm here actually is because like, I love podcasts in general because I love teaching. What, how has podcasting changed you as a person? Like what have you become today that you don't believe you would have become if you hadn't podcasted? That's a great question. Um, I think what it's allowed me to do is, especially as I started to make these podcasts shorter, right? Because I initially did podcasting really to save myself time. You know, those frequently asked questions that, you know, people would ask. And I would just say, you know what? I keep getting asked the same question over and over. Let me record it. So when they ask the question, I can go there. Episode listen 12. Listen to that. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then ask me questions, right? So it was leverage. It was more for leverage. And even part of it was like for my kids too. I wanted... 
if my, if I was, you know, especially if I died younger than I am now where my kids were still kids or little kids, I wanted something to be left behind. That was like a legacy. And, uh, and now my legacy is expanded beyond my family. Now I want this to be something that helps other people too. And, and so that's kind of where my evolution starts happening. Yeah. Granted it's a great way to teach. Sure. We get new clients from it all the time and from our YouTube channel and things like that, you know, especially on the infinite banking side, people are searching that like crazy and they keep finding me, you know? So that's always cool. Um, but ultimately like, it's really about, you know, my drive is really because I want to create that ripple effect. That's why my company is called money ripples, right? Is that I want to create a ripple effect of freedom and prosperity through people's lives. And, you know, that's why I even started redirecting my own retirement money and passive income back into my business to be able to help and create a bigger megaphone because I want people's lives to change. And I know that there's a lot of charlatans out there. There's a lot of idiots, you know, people that, you know, talk a good game, but cannot deliver. And it just creates mistrust in our environment. And I want people to know that there are voices out there. You can, you can rely on a trust. Doesn't mean I'm infallible. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, right? I still make mistakes. Heck I predicted a, a Y2, I call it a Y2K15 recession, right? <laughs> and uh, never happened, you know? And even now we're still like, when's that recession really gonna hit? You know, like it's just keeps, that bubble just keeps getting bigger and bigger than it was. So, I mean, there's times I'm wrong, but if it can overall get people to where they need to be, um, that's, that's where I feel like my life was worth something is that the, the planet is left better when I leave it than when I first came to it. And a lot of principles can be, you know, uh, brought out in, in, which can be pretty credible. I would love to know a little bit more about freedom. Cause I, when we talk, I mean, obviously that's what we're all about. And then when I ask you, what are you passionate about? You're like freedom. Mm -hmm. Why do you think freedom of choice is so important to people? Yeah, because I really truly believe that you know when you have more options, that's when there's more freedom, right? Um, freedom it really is about having options, and and I noticed this because when I was growing up, uh, you know, like I was raised by good hardworking parents. You know, they were kind of the forefront of the kind of the baby boomers or just slightly older, you know, and and uh, you know my dad believed that you could just work that same job, they would be faithful to you, you get that pension or whatever, right, and then you'd be fine. Well, he learned that that wasn't the case, that companies weren't going to be loyal to you necessarily, even if you're loyal to them. Uh, he, he had heart attacks and strokes in his forties. You know, he had lots of stress. And I remember growing up hearing things like, we can't afford this. Right. And he was, I mean, he was penny pinching miserly kind of guy, the guy that would buy everything on sale. He still has 20 year old Mrs. Buttersworth because he bought so many of them. He can't get through them all and he'll still use them because he doesn't want to throw away money. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I have a little bit of that still ingrained in me. Right. So I sometimes I, I do some cheap things. I'm like, why did I do that? I can afford this, right? But you know, you, you're raised with that. You raise that not enough kind of scarcity mentality and things like, hey, we money doesn't grow on trees. We think I am made of money. All those kind of things that you hear. And I remember as a kid just saying, I don't want to live that kind of life. Like I want to have a life where I have control of my own destiny, my own freedom. And I realized that as I went to college. It wasn't in the typical environment that I thought it would be, which was working for a corporation. It was actually being your own boss. So I was planning to become a business consultant, an independent business consultant to help business owners. But I figured if I'm going to do that, should I have real life business experience versus just an MBA from a stupid university? So I dropped out of college, said, I'll just take a quick one-year sabbatical, see how it goes, find a business. And the first business that came up was actually becoming a financial advisor not knowing that they would hire anybody that basically has a clean criminal record and could pass a test with 70% or higher, 
right? That's really the only qualifications for being a financial advisor. That's it. Sure. It's not yeah. like you're a financial genius or anything. You're just a salesman in a suit, essentially. And, you know, anyways, I'd like to be my own boss. And so I started, I did that. I did that for four years. And then I remember my dad asked me to sit down and, and advise him. He said, Chris, when are you going to advise me? When are you going to become my financial advisor? Which completely took me by a shock because I thought, wait, this guy who's never talked to me about his finances before, other than save, don't have debt. That was all he told me, right? He was like Dave Ramsey's older brother, you know? <laughs> and so I remember sitting down with him for the first time and looking at his finances. And he said, okay, Chris, I'm 61. I want to retire. What can I do? As I look at his 401k, which he had been maxing out, uh, he had been, he paid off all his debt, including his house in 18 years. He was debt-free completely, very proud of it. And as I looked at his finances, I said, dad, if you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's when you'll run out of money. Hmm. Okay, Chris, that's not what I want to hear. What do I do? I don't know because you did everything right. And, and that oh. bugged me so badly because, I mean, he'd done everything that a financial advisor teaches, right? Everything that I've been taught by the book, even the crazy strategies I could have done with him, I knew that some of those strategies wouldn't work if the market shifted. And so, which is good because I'm glad I didn't put him in more market stuff because that was 2000. You know, five and 2005 going into 2006 when I was sitting down with them. I mean, you can imagine what happened in 2008 if I just said, "Hey, keep putting more money in the market." But um, but it bugged me. And I remember a few weeks later, I was speaking with a friend who had hired to be financial advisor, but left to be doing to do real estate investing. And he told me, "He's like, Chris, my dad and I in the last four months we have doubled his income as a professor at the local university." I said, "Come on, that's too good to be true." right? There's no way you could do that. Like it's about saving, accumulating for the long haul, not about quick money. There's no way he could be making that much money. He said, well, prove that yours works. He's like, Chris, how many of your clients are financially free where they don't worry about money? And even when I consider all the retired ones that I had, like the retired doctors and people like that, they'd be watching the news and, and freaking out whether they would have retirement tomorrow or not. So I said, well, none of them, none of them are free from that definition. Okay, Chris, how many of you guys as financial advisors financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing these investments? And when I realized that there was guys working there, working there since the late 1970s and yet couldn't retire, I knew there was a problem. And so that's at that point. I, I, for a few months, I tried to justify it and see if I could make it work. But I started going down the rabbit hole of learning about alternative investing, like real estate investing, and focusing on cash flow, not accumulation, right? And started to do all these things. And the next thing you know, I, I had to make a choice. Either I stayed a financial advisor knowing that it doesn't work. It's been proven not to work. Or I take a different path, which means I, I leave my pocketbook behind and forge a new one. And I chose the latter. I was like, I got to keep my integrity intact. I can't sell something you know, that I don't believe in because I'm a horrible bluffer. Like, I, I, I'm a good, not a good poker player at all, right? So, so I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So I quit. But as I started to learn like, about it's not about how much I accumulate, but how much can I get my money working harder for me by generating monthly passive income, like doing rentals and things like that. So all of a sudden I started to see that money coming in. And the next thing you know, later that year, I was able to become financially independent myself and uh, one year shocked that I could even do it. One year. Yeah. Within that year. Now, granted, wow. I will say this. Um, my expenses were cheaper back then, right? I only needed 3,500 a month to become yep. financially independent. Um, that was 20 years ago, pre a lot of inflation and, you know, one and a half kids at that moment. So, uh, but, yeah. um, but even the second time around when I had to do it again, I had to hit 10,000 a month. 
by the end of 2016 when I had to dig out of that million dollar debt hole. And, uh, and even then, I mean, it, it was easier to do the second time just because I knew it could be done for one. And then two, I, I, I just put a lot of my attention towards how do I get that income coming in, whether I work or not. Right. Even now, when I say that like passive income, some people think, oh, I just set it and forget it, which is like what financial advisors teach you to do. Right. That doesn't work. That's how you lose money. But I become a steward over it. And yeah, that even means like, for example, I, I was managing my own properties pre 2007 and eight. Um, now I don't manage any properties. You know, now if I have a property, I have a property manager doing the work for me, which is a way better investment than me doing it myself because I suck as a property manager. Right. Uh, even when I lend money to other people, I lend money out to get paid returns, contractual returns. You know, I do those kind of things. I put my money in like oil and gas. I got money in land, raw land, or I have a partnership there where somebody's doing all the transactions and I'm just financing it, you know, and have that kind of business model. I mean, I'm doing a lot of these things. I, I have a stewardship over it. I watch it, I manage it, but I'm not the one actively doing the work. And so there's, there's a, a big level of freedom there when you have that ability to do that. Once you started having success in real estate, did your dad follow suit? You know, uh, he wanted to. Um, I'll tell you this. The strategies don't work unless you know the principles behind it, right? Um, so, uh, so like, for example, one of the biggest assets he had was his house, you know? So I remember he, you know, cashed out equity from his house. He's like, all right, now what do I do with it? I was like, okay, well... Here's some guys you can talk to. They're in the real estate game. They're looking for short-term lending. So he's doing short-term lending and, and they're paying hefty. They were paying like two and a half percent a month. I mean, pretty hefty, which was more common in 2006 and seven, right? But I remember like at the end of 2006, he's like, you know, I, I just feel nervous about this. Like, what if these guys can't keep delivering? I was like, well, then get the money out. He's like, yeah, but they pay me so much. I'm like, it shouldn't matter. Like <laughs> get the money out. If you're starting to have doubts about these guys, get the money out. It's better to protect and have a return of your principal than just to return on your principal, right? But he couldn't do it. And so as a result, when the everything started freezing up in the markets, they were doing spec homes. Of course, they couldn't give him his money back and and it was rough. I mean, luckily he got paid back a ton of interest, so he made a lot of it back, right? Yeah. Um, most of his principal back. But um, it was a good lesson right there that you gotta, you know, you gotta make sure that you're still, you know, listening to your intuition, you're you're being very scrutinous of people that you're vetting and uh and that was an important lesson there. And, and now, I mean, today he's still alive, surprisingly. I mean, he, all of us, including himself, thought he would not have made it to 79 years old. He just turned that this month, um, but he made it, you know, he made it to that point. And, uh, you know, now it's just about how long he could stretch his money out. It really is. I mean, he's trying to figure out how to use his, you know, VA benefits, social security and everything else. And so I, I admire him for that, that he's really got, he really got scrappy. You know, he did have to work till he was like 71, you know, that, yeah. that helped as well. But um, it was a good point. Like he didn't, he didn't really get into that alternative investment game that much other than that one little strategy. The rest of his money was still in the, heavy in the stock market. So for him, that's why he had to keep working into his seventies because all the 401k money he had, he, he all of a sudden now with the white, the, the great recession, he's having to work, keep doing it again. He kept putting money in, hoping that someday it'll come back up. And really he didn't start, start to feel relief until like 2016, 17. Because if you look at the stock market, the year 2000, most people didn't make their money back. They just threw money in at that time. Didn't make it back till 2015. It was a 15 year period to break even, you know? So he was no exception. He was in the, that kind of timing right there that really screwed him over. Um, but I mean, fortunately things have worked in his favor and he's, he's really good at getting, getting resourceful. So he's, uh, he's still making it today. Wow. What is your life and vision for the next 12 to 18 months? 
for me, it's, it's all about firing myself, right? Like this kind of stuff, like doing podcasts and doing my own podcast, teaching this, I love, right? Um, but it's interesting because, you know, after I became financially independent in 2016, I still kept my business going, but it was very like part-time. And then just naturally because of the podcast, it just kept growing. More people kept wanting help because they're like, hey, I need somebody to help me one-on-one help create a map for me to get out of the rat race. How do I do it? And what are some people I could actually put money with and things like that. Um, so we started doing that more seriously in the last really three or four years, even though we've been doing it for over a decade. Um, but uh, between that and then the infinite banking, more and more people could find us there. So I found myself almost having a full-time job again. And uh, as a result, I had to start to hire a team because I had to make a choice. It was either I turn people away and just say, sorry, I'm just, it's just too much. Goodbye. Good luck to you. I hope you find somebody else that's credible. Um, or I take that responsibility, which I know there's a lot of people that aren't credible and most of them aren't. Um, so I said, all right, we'll just do the two things that we do best in the entire marketplace and focus there and build a team around me to help that. And so for me, in the next 12 or 18 months, what I really hope is that, um, actually I would hope in 18 months from now, I would actually be able to walk the, the Camino de Santiago in uh, in Spain, oh, yes. have a feel that's one of my bucket list items. I've always wanted to do that ever since watching that Martin Sheen movie, right? The Way, I think it was called. And um, and I've actually wanted to do it. And I actually have clients that have done it. They do it like every year. And so I'm like, all right, I got to do it. Like one of these like September, October time periods, go and do that and just have an, the ability to step away from my business long enough to where it's managing itself and I can actually make that happen. So that's kind of my vision. Oh, so cool. My sister-in-law just uh, walked it this last year and raved about it. So I'm sure you get similar oh, reviews from the people that, that, you know. Oh, I bet. Yeah. They, they, yeah. Th that's why they keep doing it over and over. It's not like a one-time thing, which I was thinking they're like, no, no, I go back every year or two. Cause this, you meet so many amazing people along the way. I mean, there's just a, a unique journey that you just don't get anywhere else. Wow. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business, even about your parents and, and that journey. I mean, I think there were so many nuggets here today, guys, if you're listening, write down something you learned. I mean, it could be the strategy of the infinite banking. It could be just, you know, how do you even think about risk in general? Um, how do you utilize your intuition or not in your investing strategy? So many different angles that you can take this to implement things into your life and business. Write down something you learned from the day. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. Because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 